So this morning we're going to be starting a brand new series. This is a really short series. This is kind of, you can usually not have a series unless it's at least two weeks. Otherwise it's just a one message. But so this is a two-week series. It's pretty short um, because after this, after this couple of weeks, we're going to have a series on, on kind of Christmas and, and things of that nature. But before we get into that, we're going to be starting a new series. And the title of it is Find and Follow. It's a pretty simple message, but it's also kind of a hard message to hear. And, and, and so I kind of want to prepare you for that. It can be, it's going to be a little bit of, of, of moments where you may have to take some time to really look at your life, which is always a good thing. But I, I trust that God is going to use this to really speak to all of us about this concept of find and follow. So what we're going to do is over the next two weeks, we're going to take some time and we're going to focus on each of those things. So obviously this morning, we're going to focus on find. Next week, we're going to look at follow and what that means and how that applies to our life and how we can use that and how God wants to use that to help us to find and follow him in the ways that he desires for that to take place inside of us. So let's start. Let's just open up with a word of prayer and then we'll jump right in. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to come and to be here together and to worship you. Father, whether we're here in, in person or online, we are together as, as a community and in, in, in looking to you to do what only you can do. Man's words are fine, but they're not enough. What we need is your Holy Spirit to come and to speak to our hearts. And so, God, that's what I'm asking for. That's what we need. And, God, I know that you'll do it. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you have your notes, we're going to just start with the concept this morning of find. We're going to start kind of our text this morning. is going to be in Matthew 7, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Now, before we jump into that, I know Monica probably, yep, she's on top of things. It's already up there, but one second. Before we read our scripture, I kind of want to give you some context and kind of where we're at in the story, okay? Now, in Matthew 7, Jesus is wrapping up what we call the Sermon on the Mount, this is basically Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Luke records a little bit of it as well. But Matthew really gives us the best, a uh, full uh, view of this unbelievable message that Jesus gives. This, in this, these, five, or these three chapters, 5, 6, and 7, Jesus really breaks down his teaching, his understanding. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture. We actually hear, I think a couple of years ago, we actually took the summer and we went through the Sermon on the Mount because it's just so much meat and so much good teaching in that. But Jesus now is he's beginning to kind of wind this all down. When you get to Matthew 7, basically Jesus is coming to the conclusion of this message. So now we're kind of getting to this, okay, uh, this is my last about a, a amount that I'm sharing with you in this, this context or in this moment. So he kind of wants to wrap some things up. So that's kind of where we're at in Matthew 7. So this is what Jesus says. We're going to look at verses 13 and 14. This is what it says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let's read that again as a short verse, but let's look at this again. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it 
are few. So in this portion of scripture, Jesus here is kind of giving us this setup, and he's basically saying, I wanted you to see these things, and he's seeing kind of this progression of these things that are going on. And so in your notes here, it's right where we kind of put it out here, you can see it. Basically, Jesus begins to talk about these gates, and the first gate he talks about is one that's wide, one that's easy, but one that leads to destruction, and many find it. Okay, so we see this progression here. He says, wide, easy, but it leads to destruction. It leads to a problem in our lives. And here's the thing. Monica, if you want to throw that out there, I wanted to find what that word destruction really means. Okay, because we hear that word and you may think of different things. But when you go back to the original Greek and that Greek word that we translate into destruction, this is really what it means. It means the termination of something by causing so much damage to it that it cannot be repaired or no longer exists. This is what Jesus is trying to get us to see here. He's starting to say, look, there is a gate, there is a way, there is a path, there is a trail. And yeah, it, it is wide, and yes, it is easy, but it will lead to that. A lot of times we kind of downplay this word destruction. We kind of go, oh, is, is it really that bad? Yeah, it's really that bad. It is really that bad. So we see Jesus communicating something very deep here. He's not just saying, hey, this is a little thing or this is not such a big deal. This is something that will literally cause the termination of something. It will no longer exist. It'll be, it, you know, a lot of times we think about destruction. We kind of think of something like this. I, I don't know if you're, maybe you have grandkids or kids or like, like my son who likes to play with Legos. Okay, and so what's Easton do? He'll go get himself a bunch of Legos and he'll put them together and he'll make a, a house or a tower or something like that. And then he will at some point in time decide he doesn't want that anymore. And so he will destruct that Lego set. He will bring forth destruction on the set. He will begin to break apart the set. This is not what Jesus is communicating here. He's basically communicating that this is basically what Easton would do. Instead of taking the pieces apart so that he could use them again to build something else, it's basically that Jesus or that, that, that Easton would take his Lego set, put it in the backyard, set some C4 explosives on it, walk away and go beep. That is the destruction that Jesus is talking about here. It's not little, it's big. And he says, many find it. So we have this progression that Jesus takes us on. So he says, wide, easy, destruction, and many in basically verse number 13. He continues now with verse number 14. And now he talks about another path, another road. This one is narrow. It's hard, but it leads to life. Now this word life is translated also in maybe something different than you understand. This is a fullness. This is an exuberance. This is every part of wonderful life that you can think of. When Jesus talked about when I came to give them life and abundant life, this is the same type of word and same type of understanding. This is basically Jesus saying one leads to destruction, utter, just, just gone, and the other comes with fulfillment and peace and joy and love. But he says only a few find it. 
He says only a few find it. What's interesting here is we see this concept of what road are we on? What way are we going? Have we found the right way? Have we been able to understand that, you know, there are going to be some paths here? And it depends on which road we're going to go on is going to depend on whether we end up in destruction or life. And here's the deal. I believe that this is not just talking about destruction and life in the eternal sense, even though I believe it is, but I think it's also talking about it in this life today, that we can experience that. We can enjoy either the, the life that Jesus has for us, or we can unfortunately deal with the destruction that life without him can sometimes bring. But I have a question for you. Actually, I have two questions before we get into the next section here, because I want us to be honest with ourselves, because I've said this before, you know, you, you can lie to me and that's fine, but there's no sense in lying to yourself. That's silly. Okay, but let's, let's I want to ask you a question. It's in your notes. Do you actually believe what Jesus is teaching here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Do you really believe this? Because here's the thing, you know what I mean? Like, I look around, I'm just trying to be honest here, okay? I, I get to be honest too. I look around and I see people that quite honestly are on the way that's basically wide and easy and their life looks pretty good. I, I, I kind of look at it and I go, ah, that looks kind of nice a little bit. And then sometimes I look at my life and I'm trying to be on the narrow way and it's hard. I mean, listen, following Jesus is hard. Crucifying ourselves daily, as we're told in Scripture, which basically means dying to ourselves, is hard. Sometimes it's a lot easier to be selfish. Sometimes it's a lot easier to just kind of focus on yourself. This is a hard life. And sometimes I kind of do, unfortunately, and I know I shouldn't do this, but when I do a little compare and contrast, sometimes I go... Is this really right? Now, I believe it is, because I believe Scripture is true, and it's inspired. But sometimes it's hard to remember this. Sometimes it's hard when our lives are, are difficult, and we're doing all the things that God has wanted us to do, and it just seems like no matter how hard we try, it just gets harder and harder and harder. But here's the promise. Jesus says that will lead to life. See, there are two paths, and you're going to be led either to life or destruction. But do you really believe it? Because here's the deal. If you don't really believe it, you'll find that you tend to want to go down the path that's easy. So we have to make that decision from the forefront. We have to say, hey, I am going to know and believe that what Jesus is saying here is true. And then, then when we come to that, then we have to ask ourselves another question. And that's simply, which way are you currently choosing? When you look at your life, which way are you currently choosing? Because here's the deal. We typically look at this portion of scripture and we tend to have this type of mindset and I agree with it, but I want to expound on it a little bit. And that is, okay, if I've accepted Jesus, that means I am on the narrow, hard way that leads to life. And I would agree with that. But I will say from my own life and my own experiences, there are times where instead of following the path that I know I should be on, 
I tend to take detours. So that's why I said currently choosing. Because every single day, you have to choose which path you are going to walk. Every moment, you're going to have an opportunity to say, am I going to continue down the narrow, hard way that leads to life? Or am I going to go down the wide, easy way that leads to destruction? So in some ways, yes, this does talk about the idea of accepting Jesus. And when we do that, going down that way. But I also know that we're not perfect when we accept Jesus. God doesn't come and say, now all of a sudden you're perfect. We have a process and a journey that we're on. And sometimes on that journey, we choose a path that we shouldn't choose. So we have to have that moment where are we going to really look at our lives and say, which path am I on right now? But to answer that, sometimes that can be hard. So I want to give us three evidences of being found. I want to give us three evidences of things that we can look at in our lives. There's plenty of more, but that we can look at in our lives to answer that question. Which path am I currently walking on? Because it's interesting, he says, those that walk the narrow, hard life, only few, what? They only few find it. So what are three evidences of being found? But before we get into that, I want to also look at something a little bit to help us understand how to do that. Let's look at John 15, 8. In John 15, 8, this is what it says. It says, by this, my, floor, my father, excuse me, is glorified. Jesus is speaking here. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If you have a Bible that, that's paper and you mark in it, do me a favor if you or have a Bible app and you can highlight. Highlight or underline the word prove. Prove. Because a lot of people go, well, I, I, I can't, I can't, there's no evidence. There's not, how, how can you prove these things? Scripture shows us how things can be proved in our lives. And listen, that is not so important for you so you can prove it in other people's lives as much as you can prove it to yourself in your life. So Jesus says, hey, you're going to prove these things. Another word for prove is kind of evidence by the fruit you produce. Look at Matthew 7.20. In Matthew 7.20, this is what it says. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. In some ways, we have to understand that these things can be proved and we need to look at those things in our life. Okay. Got a little something something here. This is a very interesting item. This is an apple. Everybody understand that? Everybody good? Okay. Now, just to prove that this is an apple and I'm not going to trick you. Oh, my. That's a juicy apple. <laughs> I did this for a couple of reasons. One, I knew that there would be smelling smells of food today. And so this is my snack, you know, before we, before we enjoy, you know, Thanksgiving dinner together. But I like apples. I like apples this time of year a lot, you know. And I have a question for you. Now, I know, at least, well, I don't know this, but I'm assuming, and I was thinking about this earlier, so I, I might say this wrong, so you have to help me. But I don't think anyone here, and if someone does, please let me know, um, is, 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 a, is, a, is it botany? Is it botany somebody that studies trees and plants? And, is that right? Close enough? 
I don't think anybody has a botany degree. Um, I don't think anybody here has studied, uh, you know, apples and things of that nature and all that. But I want to ask you a simple question. I want to see if you can get it right. I believe in you. I think you can. What kind of tree produced this? Exactly. Never speak again, Greg. Thank you. Uh, what kind of tree produced this? An apple tree. Why is that so easy? Why, obviously, Greg was joking. Ha, 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 Greg. We're going to take him back and smack him around after service. Okay. But why was that so easy? Why is it, if I brought a, 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 a pear, mm-hmm, there you go, brought a pear up here, or, or whatever, and I said, I brought a pear, and I said, what kind of tree produced this fruit? You would be able to tell. Now, that's interesting because you haven't really studied all these things, have you? I mean, you really haven't spent years and years learning about these things, but yet you could tell and know that this was an apple. Why? Simple. It's in your notes. Very, very simple. The fruits don't lie. Fruits don't lie. Listen, it does not take somebody with a theology degree to see fruit that is being produced inside of you. You know the fruit you are producing. And the bottom line is this, the fruits don't lie. So we can have evidence. We can have proof. We can look at our lives and go, am I producing the evidence that shows that I am on the path that God wants me to be, that leads to life? So you can do this just as sometimes as simply as you can look at a fruit in the grocery store and know what type of tree produces it. You can also do the same with the fruit in your life. You can see the proof. You can see the evidence. So this morning, knowing that the fruits don't lie, we want to look at our lives to figure out those things. So here we go. Evidence number one. Evidence number one. Are you moving from pride, superiority, judgment, and fear to love? Now, I, I did this on purpose. I, I put these words on this way in purpose. It says, are you moving from? Because none of us are perfect, okay? I'm not saying, are you perfect in these areas? What I'm saying is, is on your journey, are you moving from one area to the next? As you're going down your road, are you getting better in this area? Okay, all of these are worded the same way. So in that concept, are you moving from pride, superiority, judgment, and fear to love? When you look at the fruit you're producing, what are you producing? Are you producing that, the love that God has called us to produce? Or are you producing this, this, this superiority and this pride and it's all about me? And, and you know, do you look at people, <coughs> excuse me, the apple's in my throat. And look at people and kind of have this attitude like you're better than they are. You're more, you're more spiritual. You, more, you understand the things of God maybe in a better way than others. And instead of loving them and accepting them, putting your arms around them and, and helping them to grow and to become the man or the woman that God's called them to be, instead you kind of look at them as, as less than you. Or do you love them? Not like them, love them. 
When you leave, can, can we get personal? When you leave this place and you get into the car and you shut your door, maybe you're there with your husband or your wife or you're there by yourself, when you close the door, are you really critical of the things you saw in service? Or do you think about even though what you saw wasn't perfect, you think about the love that God has for you that he would try to speak to you in this moment. 1 Peter 4, 8 says this, most important of all, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sin. 1 John 3, we're going to look at verse 11 and then jump to 14 and 15. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And let's go ahead. That's great. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves, there it is again, there's that evidence, it proves that we have passed from death to life. Listen to what this says, folks. This is heavy. I understand that. But listen to what God's word said. But a person who has no love is still dead. It's still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. The evidence. I'm not saying you're perfect in this area. I know I'm not perfect in this area. But are we moving towards that? Are we moving away from this towards love? Evidence number two. Evidence number two. Are you moving from ego Arrogance, self-centeredness to humility and others. Are you moving away from the concept that it's all about you towards it's all about God and others? Or is it still completely about you? It's your world and everybody else just happens to be lucky enough to be a part of it. Look at Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing nothing. Again, if you have underlining capabilities, underline the word nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What does your life look like in this area? Listen, listen, what, what does the fruit look like? Let's be honest, what's it really look like when you think about your life? A way we can do this is pretty simple, okay? Who do you think the most about in a day? How often do you use the word I, me, what I want, what I need? And instead... How can we got to move away from that into a place that's a little bit different? A little bit more humility. A little bit more about others. Listen, look at James 4, 6. This is a challenging verse, but listen to it. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I've talked about this before. Think about what this is saying. 
It doesn't say that God isn't pleased with the proud. It doesn't say that God's not happy with the proud. It literally says that God opposes the proud. Okay? Like, I don't want to do things that are causing God to oppose me. That's what this is saying here. When we live a life of pride, when we live a life of ego and arrogance and self-centeredness, we live a life that is literally going against what God has for you in your life. And God will oppose that in you. God will put up a wall in that with you. Because he goes, no, that is not what I've called you to be. That's not what you need to be. You need to be moving away from that and moving towards others and humility. Why? Because that's who Jesus was. I could give you scripture after scripture after scripture where it shows the humility of Jesus. And we need to be the same. Listen, stop living your life with God opposing you. And the way that you do that is to understand who you are and live in humility. Number three. Number three. Are you moving from mine, greed, accumulation to generosity, sharing, and thankfulness? What's your life look like in that area? Are you the type of person that just, you know, it's, it's, it's all mine? You know, we, we live in a world that, that, is, that is all really about, well, it's not all about it, but it's very much about accumulation. It's not just what you have, it's how much you have of it. And it's so important how much money you have in the bank, how many cars you have in the garage. All those sort of things become a, a, a situation where we begin to focus in on those things. And you know what? That is very typical of us as human beings. But are we moving away from that? Are we becoming less about me and mine and more about giving back in thankfulness to God for all that he has done in us and through us? It's so important it's so important that we understand that concept and allow it to change us from the inside out. Because here's the thing that I really believe. And hear me out on this. If you have a hard time with generosity, giving, sharing, and thankfulness, I'm going to help you out with something. I really believe that the issue that you're dealing with more than most is that you have an identity problem. You say, Aaron, how in the world, what are you talking about? What do you mean I have an identity problem? Well, here's the thing. In Matthew 6, another part of the, 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 the um, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to share something. He begins to talk about this idea of need and worry and all these things. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase it for you, but he talks about the birds. And he talks about the flowers. And he basically says, listen, listen, here's the deal. The, the birds don't worry about these things. The, the, the flowers are dressed better than any clothes you could ever buy. He's basically saying this. He's saying, my Father in heaven provides for them. My Father in heaven takes care of them. My Father in heaven dresses them and gives them all that they need. And he closes this portion of Scripture and this concept out to an extent with Matthew 6, 31 and 32. It's up on the screen. Let's look at it. This is what it says. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat and what will we drink? What will we wear? There's 32, and this is where we look at the identity issue. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all that you need. Did you catch it? 
Did you catch what Jesus is getting you to help you understand? He compares and contrasts two different sets of people and how they live, how they give, and how they experience life. One is an unbeliever who worries about all these things. What am I going to eat? What am I going to do? What am I going to find? All these things. But he says an unbeliever doesn't have to live that way. Why? Because his heavenly Father provides them. When you understand that you are a son or a daughter of the king, when you understand who you are in Christ, you don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. You can give it all away, even though God doesn't call us to do that. You can still do it. Why? Because you know that he is going to take care of you because you have a heavenly father who will do that. I believe when I find people that want to hide and and gather and accumulate and they don't live a life of generosity, I typically find people who have a hard time identifying as Christ or as God's son or daughter because they think they have to take care of themselves. They think I have to do it when it goes completely contradictory what Jesus just said here. He said, listen, Because you're his, he'll take care of you. So allow that to take place. Let's look in Luke 12. Luke 12, Jesus tells a story. This is what it says. Then he says to them, he tells them a story. A rich man. A rich man. Now here's the deal. Guess who you are in the story? You're the rich person. Okay? We, by standards of the world, are very wealthy. Okay? So we we are the rich person here. Okay? Whether we believe that or not. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and all my other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Isn't that interesting? Easy. What did Jesus talk about earlier? About a way that's easy. Eat drink and be merry but God said to him you fool you will die this very night then who will get everything you worked for look at verse 21 yes a person is a fool to store up to accumulate to hold on to earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God what is more valuable in your world to have stuff, to have the best 401k? Is that bad? Absolutely not. Is it bad to have those? No, 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 no. But what's more important is to have that rich relationship with God. One way that that relationship becomes so much more rich in your life is when you identify who you are and who God is. as you being God's son or God's daughter. And God being your heavenly father and taking care of you in those ways. So are you moving away from those areas? Are you moving away? The final thing we're going to look at this morning. Simple, easy application stuff we need to look at. If you are lost, how do you find Jesus? Okay? Another way we could put this, if you're on the the wrong path. If you're on the way that's, that's, that's easy and why that's going to lead to destruction, how do you change course? 
How do you get to where you need to be? Well, it's real simple. It's Acts in Acts 2, 37 and 38. This is what's happening. Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost and he's kind of closing things up. He says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter has just preached this amazing message. And these individuals, these hearers, have been convicted by the Holy Spirit. And they're just like, now what? Now what do I do? They, they, what, what happened? It's simple. They realized they were going down the wrong path. And they say, now what? What can I do to fix this? And this is what Peter said to them. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do we need? What is that course correction? It's repentance. It could be repentance for the first time when we accept Jesus into our heart and our lives and everything changes. It could be that we follow Jesus for many, many, many years, but we're still dealing with some of these things and we've got to come and repent again. Ask for forgiveness. But here's the thing I've learned. We hear that word sometimes and we don't necessarily know exactly what it means. So we need to look at this. So what is true repentance? I guess four things. These are things that you can apply and look at. These are, again, evidences of how you're living your life. Number one, it is a turning away from sin, pride, and greed, and turning towards God for mercy, forgiveness, love, and grace. See, this is one of the things that we have to understand about repentance. We've talked about this before. It's not just turning away from things. It's turning to things. We tend to have that problem sometimes. Or maybe, let me rephrase that. Sometimes I do. He's like, I realize I'm not supposed to do this, this, and this. And so I turn away, but I don't turn towards the things of God. Listen, if your repentance is simply turning away from something and not turning towards something, you're still going in the wrong direction. If the things of God are over here and the things of this world are over here and I go, I'm repenting, I'm still going the wrong way. Repentance is literally taking that step of turning around and going this direction towards the things of God. That's one of the great things about God. God wants to remove those things from your life and put things in its place. God doesn't want to leave you empty. He wants to fill you up with the right things. So repentance is understanding. I'm going to turn away from pride. I'm going to turn away from self-centeredness. I'm going to turn away from judgmental attitudes and superiority. And instead, I'm going to turn towards grace and love and mercy and goodness. So we have to turn away. That's the first thing. Number two, repentance is not asking the Lord for forgiveness with the intent to sin again. That is not repentance. That is simply what I call getting your hand caught in the cookie jar. You ever had that happen growing up? You ever have your child have that situation? You know, it's like you're, you, you, you shouldn't be doing something. And you reach in, oh, I'm sorry. You're not sorry in that moment for the offense. You're sorry you got caught. That's how you know. But when you repent and say, you know what? I repent for this but I am going to do everything with God's help to not do that again. Now, here's the thing. You may, but there's a big difference between saying, I'm going to do everything I can with God's help to not and have the attitude that, hey, as soon as God's not looking, quote, unquote, anymore, I'm back to the cookie jar. A lot of us repent in that way. Or we do this. 
life hits, everything kind of hits the fan. Oh God, I'm so sorry, God, please, if you'll just help me, if you'll just forgive me, I'll do this and that and that. Is that really true repentance? Again, the word here is important. I didn't say that you would never sin again, but that your intent, your desire would be that I'm going to do everything I can to not fall in this area again. And here's the deal. When I do, if I do, I'll go back to God and repent again and say, I'm going to work, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to, God, you're going to help me and I'm going to go. You, you know your heart in this stuff, guys. You know your heart. Number three, repentance is an honest, regretful acknowledgement of sin with the commitment to change. The commitment to change. It kind of goes a little bit with this intent idea. But this idea of like, I want to be different. I don't want to fall in these areas, but it, you know, I'm going to do everything I can. And that kind of leads to the last one. Repentance leads us to cultivate godliness. We've been talking about godliness over the last several weeks while eradicating habits that lead into sin. Okay? Like, let's, let's say you're dealing with a, with a problem or something that you're, you, you've been struggling with, and you sin, and this is going to be a weird way to put it, but just follow me here, okay? And you find that you struggle the most with that when you're alone on a Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. And you've, you constantly have that issue. Repentance says, listen, I don't want to sin here. So Tuesday at 10 o'clock, I'm going to have as many people around me as possible so that I can produce new habits in my life so that I won't have that issue. I, I was a youth pastor for 15 years, man. I, I can't tell you how many times I'd have guys and girls walk into my office and they'd say, you know, hey, we messed up in, in, this, in this way. We, we, we crossed the line physically. And, and I'd say something like that. I'd say, okay, well, well, that's okay. God can forgive you and God wants to forgive you. And they say, okay, well, that's great. Well, guess what? A month later, they're knocking on my door again. Oh, Aaron, what happened? Oh, we messed up again. I said, well, let's, let's talk about this a little bit more this time. What happened? Well, the first time, we, we, we were out on a date, and we, we decided to go park someplace because it, it was such a beautiful night, and it was so nice and dark. You get where I'm going. And I said, okay, well, what happened just this last time? Well, you know, again, we were out on a date, and it was just so, so nice out, and it was so dark, and so we went and parked. And I'm like, do you realize we have an issue here? What do you mean? You have a habit that's leading to problems. If you are really wanting repentance, then we got to stop parking the car. And that sounds simple, doesn't it? But how many times in our lives do we refuse to do that? Because you know what? We kind of like parking the car. Repentance is saying, you know what? I'm seeing where this habit is leading, and I'm going to change the habit so that I do a better job with the sin. Repentance is not easy. It's hard. It's acknowledging failure. It's acknowledging need. It's really a part of this way that is narrow and hard. But folks, it leads to life. And a life that I truly believe we cannot even imagine how amazing that's what it leads to. 
if you're found, that's the life that we can look forward, forward to. That's the life that Jesus has for us. If the worship team comes up, we're going to close really quickly. But here's the deal. It's real simple. Which path are you on? Which, which road have you found currently? Are you, are you on that road that's, that's easy and wide, but it's leading to destruction? Or are you on that road that, that is hard, that is narrow, but it leads to life? And here's the deal. I can't, as much as I wish I could at times, I can't get into your noggin, rants around a little bit, move stuff around and go, ah, ha, 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 this is where they're at. You know it and God knows it. And so this morning, which road are you on? Which path are you taking? Now, here's the deal. Maybe, maybe you have never made that decision. You've never chosen Jesus in the first place. You can do that this morning. You can accept him and repent and turn to him get on that right road but i also think there's probably a a, 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 maybe possibly a larger group of people who when they begin to look at the evidence now now listen i didn't say some of the things that you maybe think that you know you could look at as evidence well they're they're helping in this area of the church or or how about this one oh they're, they're a pastor in a church Listen, that's not the evidence that you need to be looking for. It is can be some evidence, but it's not what I talked about. The evidence that I think God is asking is really those three things. Are you moving away from sin? Are you moving away from pride and arrogance, greed, accumulation? Are you moving away from those things and moving towards basically God. If you are, that's great. It's not about necessarily taking big leaps, but just even if it's a little bit at a time, that's okay. But if you can look at your life and you can say, you know, the evidence, the fruit that doesn't lie is not really showing that. It's okay. It's okay. Why? Because there's repentance available. There's forgiveness available. And you can come to God and say, God, you know, I haven't done well in this area. I haven't turned from those things towards your things. God, will you forgive me? God, will you help me? God, will you come and Help me to understand areas that, that maybe the habits that I am that are, that are keeping me in this rut. And instead, help me to move towards being found by you in this particular area. Help me to find that, that narrow path. Yeah, that, that path that's hard, but it leads to life, not destruction. And I know that when you pray that prayer, when you ask for that help, that Jesus comes, he takes you by the hand, he offers forgiveness and help to get you on that path. Because what's so amazing about our God 
is he doesn't look at us and say, you know what? It's a hard path, it's a narrow path, and you're on your own. Good luck, kid. He walks with us and talks with us and helps us along the way. So let's all bow our heads, close our eyes, and just let's just take a moment. Just a simple question. Are you on the right path? Are you on the right path? And if you're not, if you're not, give it to Jesus. If you've never accepted him, if you've never, you, you've been on that path that's, that's wide and, and easy, but it's leading to destruction. This morning, you can have new life. You can accept Jesus and his love and forgiveness and you can be put on that right path so good so wherever you're at wherever you're at I ask that you would just call out to God in this moment call out to God with repentance call out with hope call out with love call out knowing that he will answer you father we come to you and god wherever we're at whatever path we're on father if we need to accept you for the first time as i believe that people right now or maybe even a year from now that are maybe seeing this online as they are praying and as they're saying father find me. Father, I believe that you sent your son. I believe that Jesus was God's son, and I believe that I need forgiveness of the sins that I've committed. In that moment that they've become a new creation. In that moment, they've been placed on that path that leads to life. For others, God, that, that maybe if they look at the life that they're experiencing, and, and, and maybe, yeah, they've accepted you, but in certain areas of their life, their fruit, their evidence is not producing what needs to be produced. And God, you're showing them those things through the work of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for wisdom and direction on how they can not just repent, but literally change and commit to that change so that they can, instead of walking one way, they can turn and head your direction. Father, wherever we're at, I know that you hear our prayers, that you love us, and that you desire to bring forth an amazing harvest in us and through us. So help us. Help us to find that path. Help us to find you like we never have before. We love you and we thank you. Let's all stand. John and the worship team are going to come lead us in a quick closing chorus. Oh 
Father, I'm so thankful that I believe and I know that in these moments, and maybe even in moments that haven't even happened yet, that there have been people who have found you, that have been found by you, but also people that once again have found the, the path, the gate they're supposed to go towards. And Father, I'm thankful for that. Father, I'm thankful that you love us enough that you tell us, hey, listen, listen, there's a way and you can go down it and it's nice and wide and it's easy, but it will lead to literally the termination of things in your life. Things will be destroyed in your life, both in this life and the life to come. But if you want to walk down that road, you can. And many do. But Jesus, I thank you that you made a way where there was no other way. You are the way, the truth, and the life. When we walk with you down that road, yeah, it's going to be narrow. Yeah, it's going to be hard. And yeah, not a lot of people find it, but it leads to life. The life that you promised us. And that life is worth the narrow. It is worth the hard to have that. And so Jesus, as we, as we begin to move into this holiday season with Thanksgiving and then Christmas, Father, I thank you that one of the best things that we can be thankful for is to be found by you, to be on the right path with you. And you provided that because you're willing to come and die for our sins. So we have much to be thankful for. We love you and we thank you. You're so good. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, listen, thank you so much for being here. Obviously, we're going to begin here in just a moment to kind of move some stuff around. Everybody is welcome to stay and have lunch with us. For those that are online, we wish you were here. I know some of you are very far away, but um, and I, I know you wish you could be here to have lunch with us. We wish you could be here too. 
We love you. We haven't forgotten about you in any way, shape, or form. Hope to see you soon. For the rest of us that are here, we're going to begin to move out table, bring in tables and chairs. If you want to start bringing food in and all those things, we're going to have a great time this afternoon. I'm excited to be able to spend some time with all of you. But if you got to go, love you. Have a great week. For those that are online, have a great week. Have a great, safe Thanksgiving. And we'll see you here next week. We love you. We'll talk to you soon.